It's far from over. Easter is far from over, and that's the most incredible thing. Whether you were here last week or not, the most incredible thing about Easter is that last week was only the beginning. That was only the beginning of the adventure because we are Easter people. We are people that have heard and seen that Jesus is alive, and so you're back for more today. You're back for the rest of the story. Maybe you're not quite sure why you're here, what quite sure to expect, and maybe, just maybe, you're not quite sure if you're on board with this whole following Jesus thing, and, and that's okay. You might be here today, and you might be saying, I'm kind of new in my faith, or I'm getting started again back in the church, and you know what? I still have a lot of questions, and that's okay, because you've came to the right place. This is a place that is safe for those who are seeking and asking tough questions. That's why we're here together. And of all the questions that the Easter story raises, one that I think rises to the surface, especially now that we're moving forward, is what now, right? We just had this awesome mountaintop experience last week on Easter, and some of you are saying, okay, that's great, now what? And now what do we do? What's, what's the rest of the story? Has anybody, I don't know if you've seen uh, this commercial on TV, I think it's a Coke Zero, yeah, it's Coke Zero commercial, and the guy goes, and? Have you seen this one? Has anybody seen this one? Okay, so the basic idea is this, they showed this guy growing up, and uh, he, from, from childhood on, everything he gets, there's like a bonus, right? So he, he gets a house, and then he says, and? And then he gets a raise, and he says, and? And then there's always something added to that. There's an extra extra incentive. And uh, he goes throughout his entire life and all these amazing things happen. And he's trusting that there's going to be more. So no matter what happens to him, he kind of looks at the person and goes, and as if he's expecting something else, there's this anticipation that something else is coming, that there's joy up ahead. Everybody say, and, and that's kind of what we're wondering today. Jesus is back from the dead and What's next? Which is the very question we find ourselves asking today, and it happens to be the very question that Jesus' followers were asking after Jesus ascends into heaven. And that's where we come to the book of Acts. Today we are beginning a brand new sermon series called The Acts of the Apostles. And really a great way to remember Acts is Acts was written by a follower of Jesus named Luke, and Luke also wrote Luke, which is convenient. And uh, so uh, if you look at Luke and Acts back to back, there's a lot of similarities. One flows right into the next, even though Acts comes after John, which is the last gospel. And so we're going to be taking a look at how Jesus equipped this ordinary bunch, this ragtag bunch of followers of disciples who are now apostles and use them to start the greatest movement that the world has ever known, a movement which you and I are now part of. So the disciples and all of us are asking today, what's next? And we we look at Jesus and the disciples are looking up to Jesus saying, and? And Jesus gives them the great commission. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Uh, In Acts chapter 1, he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, meaning it's a local thing, it's a regional thing, and it's a global thing. So go take my Good news. And so the church explodes, and, and uh, there's the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes and it empowers God's people. And all of a sudden, we have this thing called the church. A whole bunch of people gathered together in the same place and they get filled by the Holy Spirit, much like we're experiencing here today. A chapter later, this church starts to 
organize themselves. And today on Life Group Sunday, when we talk about community, this is the part of the church we're going to focus on today. Right away in the book of Acts, the church starts to organize itself into uh, weekly worship in the temple and also in each other's homes. And so uh, if you want to flip back a few chapters from where we were in Acts chapter 6, we're going to get there in a second, go back to Acts chapter 2. And this is one of the best explanations we have of what the early church was like. So Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 42. So same book, just a few chapters before. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And we read this, about this new group of Jesus followers called the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. I don't know about you, but that's an exciting thing to be a part of. That's, that's, this is the greatest movement in the history of the world, and the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. The anticipation was growth, both wide in numbers and deep in maturity. And I don't know about you, but in that passage, I see a few key characteristics in this new group of people. If I was just reading that for the first time, Just kind of shut your eyes, look at your Bible, shut your eyes, and then open them and say, I am reading this for the very first time. What is this group of people like? And so here's what I would see. First of all, I think they're connected. That's the first word we're going to talk about today. It's a very connected group of people. They actually liked hanging out together. Imagine that, right? Next, I see a group of people that cares for one another. They're looking out for each other's needs. They're, they know each other's stories. Thirdly, I see a group of people that are all contributing to the cause. Everybody is involved. Everybody is engaged in this community. Nobody's sitting off on the sidelines. So we have connecting, caring, contributing, and I couldn't think of a fourth C, so we're going to call it multiplying. So CCCM. Uh, and lastly, multiplying. Their numbers are growing. Think about it this way. If I was describing you, just just think about this. Don't think about the church. Just think about a random group of people. If I was describing to you a group of people that lived life together, they hung out all the time, they just loved being in each other's lives, they cared for one another deeply, they all contributed to keeping things running, and at certain times, some of them would grow up in maturity, and then they would go off and start groups of their own. If I just told you that about a group of people, what would be the first thing that comes to mind? Family. Good. I was hoping you'd get that. Oh, you're smart. Family. Family. What I just described to you is the life of the early church, and you said family. Family. I'm describing family. What you're telling me is that one of the primary identities of the early church and what should be one of our primary identities as the church here in 2012 is as a family, which means the people you're sitting next to today are your family. Now, depending on when I say that, depending on what your childhood was like or even what your current relationship with your family is like, some of you are really, really excited saying, I love my family and now I get a bigger family? That's great. And some of you are just horribly terrified at the idea of family and you're saying, you're saying my, my family's crazy 
and now you're telling me I'm going to come here. I came to the church to get away from crazy people. <sighs> well, uh, we weren't crazy until you showed up, but now I'm joking. But for better or for worse, this is your family. Family is a part of your lives. All of you know you grew up in a family. You don't get to pick and choose, right? You're just there. You're just born into it. And sometimes we don't always get along as family. I remember growing up, uh, I had an older brother that was two years older. And you can imagine everything, everything was always calm and peaceful in the Annenson house. After all, my dad was a pastor and pastor's kids are always well-behaved, right? Wrong, wrong, dead wrong. If any of you have siblings, you know this, right? Just think back. If any of, who has siblings? Just want to know. Quite a few. Okay. If any of you have siblings, you know. It doesn't matter if you are of blood relation or not. The other person For a certain stage of growing up of your childhood, that other sibling is public enemy number one, right? And you're just always like this with them. You're just always clashing, and and you're out to prove it. So for me, uh, this usually came in the area of chores. So in, in any functioning family, my mother says, it's time to divide up the duties, right? So she says, okay, I always want to be fair to the boys. So Nathan, my brother, gets to... That is not us, by the way, but commonplace. Uh... My brother Nathan gets to vacuum. Okay, that's your job, Nathan, you vacuum. Jonathan, your job is to dust. And I'm thinking, oh, this is great. He's got to vacuum the whole house. All I have to do is just walk around with a little rag and just kind of, you know, just, you know, I don't really have to move anything. Just kind of throw it around, right? I'll get done way before he does. Not the case. That never happened. He always, always, always got done before I did. And boy, did that fuel my fire. Boy, was I just irritated. And my blood was boiling. And a lot of times it ended with that on the living room floor, right? Or outside or wherever we happened to be. And it just, and one day I just couldn't take it anymore. And my blood was boiling. And uh, you know that most disagreements with boys end with something that resembles WrestleMania, right? So that's what it was with us. And my mom had had enough that day. She took both of us boys by the arms in this kind and loving pastor's family. And she took us outside and she said, boys, go outside. And when you figured it out, you can come back in. She'd had enough of us. It was January. And I think we were in our pajamas. That's how the, the story goes. But she said, your family... You're going to need, your brothers, you're going to need to learn how to live together. Your family. So go figure it out. Because you're not leaving and we're keeping both of you, even if we don't want to. Your family. So go figure it out. And it was freezing. And so we figured it out very quickly. And we got along the rest of that day. In that little case study, we figured out how to be family. We figured out how to connect. We figured out how to care. We figured out how to do our chores and both contribute to the house together, which is what families do, which is what the church does. And what we see from this description of the church in Acts chapter 2 and the next several chapters is that the church is finding its identity and it looks an awful like a functioning, healthy family, which brings us to our reading Today, So Acts chapter 6, just flip back to our reading from today. You are in chapter 2, flip ahead to chapter 6. The church is continuing to grow. The church is continuing to organize itself. And like any family, it's experiencing 
some conflict, right? Imagine that. If you're here today from a family and you've never had conflict, write your name down because I want to be a part of your family, right? It's a normal thing for families to have disagreements. And that happens here in Acts chapter 6. And so we read this, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, the number of disciples was increasing, and the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So stop right there. What's happening? Family conflict, right? We're all on the same team. We're all following Jesus. We're all in the same family here as the church. But some people are getting more food than others in the feeding lines. So what does the family do? Verse 2, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Verse 3, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and ministry of the word. In other words, church, family, Go outside, and when you figure it out, you can come back in. That's essentially what the apostles are saying is, we're family, and we're going to need to figure this out. We're going to need to get along. Let's learn to live with each other. And the apostles say, let's figure out how everyone can contribute to the mission. This isn't just about the 12 disciples who are now apostles. It's not just about the inner ring anymore. This is an all play. Church is for everybody. We're contributing. We're having conflict. We're dividing up the duties. These are family matters, issues of family. So by looking at this seemingly random passage, when that scripture reading was read, some of you might be sitting there going, what in the world does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with you because you're a part of that family. In a passage like this, we're not only being told who we are as the church, we're being told what it is that we should be about. We're given our identity and our activity. Because our identity as family, our identity as the church, always fuels our activity. Because the church is God's idea, not our idea right? So we don't get to say, well, here's what church is, or here's what my past experience has been of the church. Identity fuels activity. Our job is to ask God, who have you called us to be? And then we live out that in community in response. And if you look at it, our identity as God's family is clearly laid out all throughout scripture. You don't have to turn there, but think back to Genesis. Genesis chapter one, God creates Adam and Eve. First, he just creates Adam, right? He just first creates the man. He looks at Adam and he says, oh boy, uh, oh man, that boy needs a woman big time, right? It is not good for man to be alone, right? Men, do we agree? It is not good for man to be alone, right? Big time. And so God creates Eve. He creates a family. The very first thing that God creates of human flesh is a family. And then we hear this amazing statement, and actually, let's, this is up on the screen. Let's read this. This is what God says. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Which means that we cannot reflect God's image unless we act like family. 
God says, I created you in my image, therefore, this is how you should function. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he picks up right where the Old Testament left off. The story of the Old Testament is the story of God's family and God calling us back to our original identity. Jesus picks it up in John chapter 1. It says this, Jesus, he came to his own people and even, and even they rejected him. But then it says this, John chapter 1, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus says to us, remember who you are. If you remember anything, remember your identity. You're my kids, and I'm your dad. And that changes everything, because when you know you have a loving father, you have a security in life that nobody else has. When you know you have a loving father, it changes everything. So if he's our father, and if we're his kids, what does that make us? Siblings, right? And sometimes siblings don't get along, right? We're brothers and sisters, whether we want to be or not. So just turn and look at your neighbor right now with just a big old grin and say, hello, brother. Hello, sister. Turn around. Turn around and look at the people behind you. Hello, brother. Hello, sister. We're family. We're family. We're, we're, we're brothers and sisters. Whether we get along or not, Right? Whether the people around you are weird looking or not, right? So we go back to Acts. We look at what is the church doing? We know we're family. We know we're brothers and sisters. So what is it that we should be about? And I want to go back to these four words. Connecting, caring, contributing, and the fourth C, multiplying. Right? So, first of all, connecting. Let's look at that together. If you look at the scripture today from Acts and, and the whole story of the book, it's so evident in this church that, that they spent a lot of time together, right? It's almost like they actually, it's, it's like they hung out with their church friends outside of Sunday morning. Heaven forbid, right? Imagine that. Imagine that. Almost as if they were doing life together rather than just attending worship or attending church together. So when you think about being a part of our family here which you are, it doesn't really make sense to come and spend an hour a week with your family, but then live the rest of your week in isolation. Because isn't that how families do it? I mean, think about if a family acted this way. If, if your parents stood up and said, okay, kids, uh, family meeting, uh, we're going to gather here in the living room as a family, uh, just parents and kids, uh, once a week for about an hour, and kids, we're all going to uh, sit and face the front, uh, we're going to sing a few songs, and then we're going to go our separate ways uh, for the rest of the week, and uh, good luck, hope you're not lonely. I'd question those parents, wouldn't you? Right? That's not a healthy family. Families do life together. So why would it be any different in the church, which is really behind the heart of this whole thing we call life groups? We're not up here just plugging life groups because, hey, we want you to be more involved. We're... We're, the, the point is not the groups themselves. The point is that you will not be able to reach your full potential as a follower of Christ if you're doing Christianity alone. Christianity is not a solo sport. As much as it hurts me to say it, Christianity is not golf. You can't do it on your own. You can't just be out there swinging and doing whatever you do on your own. Christianity 
is a team sport. You can't do it alone. You need people around you on the journey. And you might be sitting there saying, oh, John, no, you don't understand. I got friends. Man, I got, I got people and we hang out. I've, I've got lots of friends. Uh, over 700 on Facebook now, actually, and, and even more on Twitter. You know what's better than friends? Family. God says you're the family of God. You're not a bunch of random people of God. You're the family of God. That's, that's what you can find in the church that you can't find anywhere else. These relationships are going to last forever. Friends are going to come and go, and it's great that you have close friends. This is eternal. So you better like the people you're sitting next to, because we're going to be worshiping for 10,000 years. That's what the song says. I don't know. We're family. It's going to last forever. And maybe you're sitting there saying, John, you know, I... I've been coming to Hope Des Moines for a while. I I just don't feel connected. I'm just a little kind of weirded out by the whole life group thing and going to somebody else's home. And you know what? I just kind of look around me and there's just some people here that really annoy me. You know what I mean? There's just some really weird people here in the church. And I'm just not sure if we'd get along. And you know what my response is? Welcome to the family, folks. Welcome to the family, right? That's what families are broken, messed up groups of individuals who are trying to figure out how to do life together. Welcome to the family. Everything was great. Nobody was weird until you showed up. So just keep that in mind. What does that look like? So we go back to the book of Acts. We go back to the book of Acts, and what we see is it's the same. There's conflict. They're not getting along. It really feeds this idea. But if you're looking for family... (laughs) Maybe you've never thought about that before. If you're looking for family, for people to to love you and accept you just as you are with all your imperfections, maybe today is time to put some roots down. Maybe it's time to stop running. Maybe it's time to stop floating and actually be somewhere. What if you lived life and community as if you knew you were going to be here in this neighborhood for the next 10 years? How would you live? You'd be invested, wouldn't you? You'd get to know some people because you're going to say, well, this is my family. More than just putting my time in here, maybe it's time to be known. Maybe it's time to be known because that's what families do. And when we're known, it allows us to do the next thing which families do, and that's care. I'm not going to say tons about this other than the fact that over 50 times in the New Testament, we hear the phrase, each other. Say, each other. Jesus says each other. Paul says to the church over and over and over again, love each other, forgive each other, pray for each other, serve each other. Now, it may sound crazy and it may sound way too simple, but it's really hard for us to do anything for each other if we're not with each other. Crazy thought, huh? Now, we have a great family reunion here every week, right? You might be looking around saying, I don't know everybody here. And then there's another group just like this, the second service. Obviously, you maybe don't know all of them. Think of this as the big family reunion, right? We've got crazy Uncle Al over here and, you know, whoever else, you know. This is your family reunion. What your life group is, is your family. That's your nuclear family. That's who you do life with. We have a great reunion here every week, but real life happens not here, out there. That's why you need to do life with people because at one point or another, reality hits. 
because you can live isolated and you can live disconnected. You can do Christianity on your own until reality hits. Until the marriage starts to crumble. Until you have questions about parenting and you don't know who to ask. Until someone close to you passes away and you've never dealt with that before. And yet scripture reminds us, carry each other's burdens. And I just have to say today, you do this really well. You do this really well. One of my favorite things about being a pastor of this church is that most times when I show up to the hospital, guess who's already there? Life group. And I normally walk in, you know, looking all official, ready to do my pastor thing, and they say, uh, uh, preacher boy, why don't you just go home? We got it, you know? I love that. I love that. That's the way it's supposed to be. If somebody in your family is hurt or sick, you show up. You don't invite in some professional with a collar. Your family shows up. Yeah, I'm going to (laughs) come. You're my family too, and I'm not going to stop caring about you. But I love it when you beat me there. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I, I just wonder if the biggest obstacle for some of you today to experiencing Christianity to the full is letting yourself be cared for. I know it sounds really simple. Who knows you? Who knows you well enough to care for you? Or is everything always okay for you? I have a hard time believing that. We can't care for each other unless we let people know us. Not just the happy smiley face on Sunday morning. Know us. And when you've been loved, the most natural thing in the world to do is to give it back. And that leads us to our third word, contribute. When you care for each other, you're all contributing. You're all involved together. Paul writes this to the uh, Ephesians. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Let's read this together, what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In other words, this family that you're a part of, Paul's saying, it also kind of functions like a body. Just kind of look at your body for a second. It's okay if it's weird. Just look at your body, right? Every single part of your body has a function, and as insignificant as it might seem, it has a part to play. Try this. Everybody look at your elbow fleeb. You ever call it your elbow fleeb? Just kind of pull on it like that, right? Right? You can pinch it as hard as you can, and it doesn't hurt. It's amazing. It's like it's not even connected to your body, right? When's the last time you thought about your fleeb? Probably not very often, right? But yet it's a part of the body, and you might think, oh, you know what? I'm a part of this church. I'm a part of this body. I'm the fleeb right? I don't really have too much to offer. I've only been coming for for a few months. I I don't really have too much to contribute, right? But just because it seems insignificant doesn't mean that it does. Can you imagine if you tried to bend your arm and you didn't have any excess skin there? What would happen? Skin would rip off, right? Or just be really, really painful because it'd always be pulling at this skin, right? I couldn't golf without fleab. This would be terrible, right? There's not much you can do without flea, but yet we say, oh, you know, the head's really important, right? It's the life group leaders, it's the coaches, it's the pastor, it's the worship leaders. They're the real people of the church. Oh, you are. 
doesn't matter if you're the fleeb or the, the big toe or the ear. Every single person has a part to play to get plugged in. We're better together. You may have heard us say that uh, multiple times, but it's so true. We're better together. It's so evident. I don't know if you heard about, I just want to recap the, the Lenten project for you a little bit that we did. We helped our, our partner church, His People New Life Fellowship down there, and then we did kind of a global emphasis as well in Ghana. The goal was to plant 40 churches in 40 days. You want to know why we're better together? As one church, multiple locations, in 40 days, Hope planted 119 churches. So give God praise for that. Can we do that alone? Is there any way we could pull that off alone? No! We're going to need 119 uh, Ghanaian pastors as well, right? Because they're a part of the body too. They're a part of our family. There's no way that happens unless it's a family project. There's no way that this happens every single week unless it's a family project. There's dozens of people that are here many hours before you get up and many hours before I get up that make this happen every week. There's no way that this happens unless it's a family project. In fact, that's how a lot of our life groups got started. Setting up chairs together, Hey, we should get coffee. They get coffee. Boom, a life group starts. Hey, we're making coffee. Boom, life group starts. If you're feeling disconnected, serve. Serve. Sounds crazy. Wherever you serve, that'll be your family. Wherever you serve, that's going to feel like family. And yet, the final characteristic that we come to that's not a C, that is multiply, is one we don't often think a lot, but it's so evident in the life of the early church. Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts 6, in our scripture for today, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, it seems as though it was the mission of the early church to be making disciples who reproduce rather than just making converts who consume. You see the difference? They're making disciples who reproduce disciples instead of just making converts who consume. Jesus didn't say, go and make church attenders. He said, go and make disciples. Multiplication. The idea was that every disciple, every single member of the family was investing in somebody else. And if you think about it, that's the same way it is with a family, right? What kind of family doesn't multiply, (laughs) doesn't reproduce, right? If you have kids they're probably going to grow up. And those kids are going to grow up and they're going to go off to college and they're going to get engaged and they're going to get married and then they're going to have kids and they're going to start families of their own. So why would it be any different with the family of God? You've heard we've had, we have hundreds of small groups, but if multiplication isn't at the end of what we're doing, then that's not what we should be doing. We've got it wrong from the beginning. I mean, just think how silly it would look if you never actually grew up. Because it's possible for all of us to grow old, but never grow up, right? Think how silly that would be. I want you to take a look at this video and just tell me, what's wrong with this guy? What's wrong with him? Let's take a look. Well, summer's almost over. I guess it's been pretty good. Just been hanging out with my friends. Oh, we won our Little League Championship. I was MVP. Don't mean to brag, but 
57 home runs, only one strikeout? Every summer goes by faster. It's kind of depressing, but I guess I'm ready to go back. A lot of people have been giving me a hard time lately, saying I'm too big for t-ball, too big for kindergarten, pushing me to graduate. I almost did it once a few years back. I heard that first graders got to write in cursive. It sounded pretty cool. But in the end, I just couldn't do it. I have my iPhone anyway. Johnny, what does CH say? Death dog. My kids are a little embarrassed that they're further along than I am. Hey, girls. But I figure when it's time to go to first grade, I'll know it. It'll be obvious. The heavens will part. A voice will thunder. Johnny, it's time. You need to graduate kindergarten. Johnny, it's time. You need to graduate kindergarten. Eh, not thundery enough. One, two, three, go, go, Bob! If I graduate kindergarten, then I won't be eligible for t-ball. And I'm the man out here, a slugger, a star, and the only player on the team that hasn't had an accident in his baseball pants. Out there, who knows? I'm just not feeling it, you know? I don't feel called. I don't feel called to make myself uncomfortable. I don't feel called to no more summer breaks. I don't feel called to dad's pitch. Why have somebody throw a rock-hard baseball at me when I can hit it off of a tee? You know what I'm saying? Why do something that's hard when you can do something that's easy? I mean, we're undefeated. Why mess that up? It just doesn't make sense. But I guess some people don't get it. I guess some people just aren't smart enough to figure out how to stay comfortable, how to make life easy. It's kind of sad. I feel sorry for them. Interesting thought. Is your faith still in t-ball? And rather than just talk to you about the idea of uh, maturing and, uh, and growing up, I thought I would invite uh, a couple of our current life group leaders up here. This is Liz. Everybody say hi, Liz. This is John. Everybody say hi, John. Uh, the cool thing uh, about Liz and John is that not only are they uh, living out a lot of this stuff, they're leading it. They're leading their own life groups now, but that wasn't uh, always the case. So instead of telling you about multiplication in the church, I thought we would hear about it and hear from their experiences. So uh, Liz, I'll start with you. And, um, you know, we've been talking about uh, connecting and caring and um, everybody contributing and, and the group multiplying. In the group that you're currently in, what are some ways that you've seen that taking place? that I'm in started uh, meeting in September of this last year, and uh, we didn't really all know each other when we started, but over the last seven or eight months, we have um, come to know about each other's struggles and have just gotten to know each other on a much deeper level than you can do on a Sunday morning, and we've been able to do a service project together and just really care through each other through um, praying for each other and lifting up each other's needs and also growing deeper in the word through using each other's knowledge because none of us are experts. And so um, just using what everybody brings to the table and contributes to the group has really helped all of us grow together. Awesome. John, how about you? What are some ways that you've seen? You've been on a few different groups. What are some ways that you've seen family-like living taking place? I've seen it on a pretty big stage, uh, especially in my life. Um, been through um, kind of a group I've been through for quite a while um, that has just that become family and has uh, followed me um, 
through some really, really good times and really, really rough times. And uh, we always talk about having, uh, does everybody have a friend that you would uh, be able to call um, at 2 o'clock in the morning that would kind of be there for you, and whether you knew that or not. And family is always going to be there, and uh, you don't have to ask. So um, my family had gone through um, some really rough parts. For, uh, losing a home and really great parts, uh, getting married, not having a family, and they were always there um, to support me. Mm. And uh, I've seen it with, um, like she said, service projects, and I've seen them reach out and to be able to do that for others. I think it's that idea when Scripture says we rejoice together and we suffer together, that's a reality for you, and that doesn't take place unless there's a life group. So, um, Liz, I'll throw it back to you. We've been talking about this idea of multiplication and this is actually a big part of your story because when you first started, you showed up at a life group here at Hope Des Moines, and a year later now, you're leading one. So that doesn't always happen, uh, but that was quite a process. So t- tell us about that process of just showing up and having no idea what you're doing, and all of a sudden, you're leading. I had been a part of a life group for about seven months when my life group leader approached me about um, starting a new branch of a life group with some of the women that were in our current group. We um, had about 10 people regularly coming, and it was just getting to be a little bit too big, and we wanted room for others. And um, when my life group leader talked to me about it, I was very surprised. I did not see it coming um, because I didn't really see myself as leader within the group. And then being a doubtful person, I was like, oh, I don't think I'm your person. It's just not going to be very good. I just I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not qualified. And um, she really encouraged me. And spent a lot of time praying about it, and now our group is gelling, and it's an awesome group. Um, I've seen the Lord working in a lot of ways that I would have never expected, and I've gotten to know a lot of women from church that I would have never have had the experience of knowing if we hadn't stepped out in faith. So, Absolutely. Praise God. John, how about you? I know that there's been some key guys in your life the last several years that have poured into you, and maybe five, ten years ago, you were like, I'm never going to be a leader. Uh, what, what has helped kind of bring you to this place now where you're leading yourself? Well, it was definitely this process. It was uh, starting out, I had no clue what it looked like. I knew how to come to church on Sunday um, for an, an hour, and uh, <laughs> I knew how to hang out and talk to people in very short conversations and then go home, and I had no clue what it looked like after that. That was all I knew. Um, it took... I mean, I, would, I, I came here, and I didn't know how to seek that, know what it looked like. And so it took having a friend that, that walked up and uh, said, this is, I want to walk you through this. I want to actually go through it with you. They approached so, you. They approached me. Yeah. So it was like um, a parent with a child. Um, but it was yeah. going through it together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then as far as multiplying, it would be, you know, when a parent has a child and they grew up and they have another child you don't give it to grandparents and say okay you take care of them it's no this is this right. is my job now this is uh but just i had no idea what it was and you can't teach people something you haven't gone through yourself wow that's so good that, that's what's needed that's really good did you catch what you just said you can't take people where you haven't been yourself but when you go there it's the most natural thing in the world to say why don't you come with me i'm going to show you what I've done. My last question for both of you is this. Uh, I'm sitting out here today and I'm saying, okay, you've given me the big life group plug. 
Why is it so important? I'm kind of on the fence. Should I do it? Should I not do it? I don't really know if I have time. There's some really weird people here. What should I do? Why is it important to be uh, in a life group? Liz, what has that meant for you to be a part of a group? For me, it's um, a network of support that I wouldn't otherwise have. I don't have family in the area, and I know that the women in my group are women I can count on to be there for me all the time for fun or to help me learn and grow about and learn about God or just to help when I'm struggling with other things in life. Awesome. John, how about you? What would you say to somebody that's kind of, I'm on the fence if I should do it or not. I might just stay out, hang, be anonymous or engage. What would you say to them? Uh, Just seeing my life and other people's life um, just completely changed by it in great ways. And not only them seeing it in themselves, but um, sitting in a room uh, with 20-some guys at one point and with wives and significant others telling them how much of an unbelievable change it was in their life. And uh, for me, it was somebody that could, uh, was just known as being a nice guy, and I could show up on church on Sunday, but in the rest of my life, nobody knew that I was that. I wasn't different from anybody else. Nobody at work knew that I was a Christian, and I didn't act that way. And so it just helped me know what that means and people to walk through it with me. Awesome. Praise God. Let's give him a hand. Thank God for our leaders. You bet. I think one of the coolest things that they said is they had no idea that they would be doing this. But as you listen, it becomes very clear. Healthy groups produce healthy leaders, and healthy leaders produce more groups, and groups produce new churches, which is how this church got started. And as we start this series on the church, I just want to end with this today. You may be thinking, you know, (laughs) this whole idea of family is really hard for me. Because maybe your family was nothing like what God's family is supposed to be like. Maybe you had a really rough childhood or your family is still not healthy. Maybe you're not on speaking terms. In fact, it might be a bit more painful and frustrating to think about than full of joy. In fact, I was doing some counseling this past week, which I get the honor to do and and walk through with different couples, and I was meeting with a couple that had been married for 14 years. <laughs> and uh, they have a family. They're family, and when they got married, said, they said, we're going we're gonna to stick this out through thick or thin because we're a family. And families don't split up. <laughs> At least that's not how God designed them to. And we was just talking to the husband and wife, and they are arguing and yelling at each other, and I just said, let's just stop, and can we just pray? (laughs) And so I prayed, and and we got done praying, and they just both had tears in their eyes, and uh, they were holding hands. I hadn't seen them hold hands in four or five times that we've met. (laughs) And uh, I kind of looked at the guy, and I said, you know, you've got a lot of priorities going on. You've got, I mean, this guy is a wealthy, doing very well as a businessman but he's got kids and he's got a beautiful wife. He's got a family. And I said, you have a choice. Are you going to choose your family or are you going to choose climbing the ladder? And, and this just rocked my world. It made my week. It made my month. <laughs> he, this guy, this wealthy businessman who has everything going for him, turned and he looked at his wife with tears in his eyes and said, I choose 
us. I choose us. And to me, that was a picture of Christ's love for the church. This family's not perfect either. (laughs) And we're going to have disagreements and we're going to have conflict and we're weird and we're different. But families stick together. And God demonstrated his love for us. The Apostle John says, how great the Father's love for us that we should be called the children of God. This love that he has lavished on us through the death of his son, Jesus. When Jesus is hanging on that cross, he looks at us, the church, as his family, and Jesus says, I choose us. No matter what comes our way, for better or for worse, I choose us. And it is our prayer today that whether you join a life group or not, I don't want you to miss out on being family. It's what you were created for. And I pray that you'd be able to look at these people around you today and look at them in the eyes and say, I choose us. Amen? Let's stand together.